1: Friday edition of PFTPM, Miles Simmons, Mike Florio. It is officially another Friday. Closer to death. Hello,
2: Mike. There it is. Hello, Mike. I'm doing great, man. It's so sunny out here in, you know, Los Angeles and Santa Monica. It doesn't feel like I'm another week closer to death, even though I am. But, you know, we're going to keep it moving. You know, it's a big weekend of football, baby.
1: Every time we utter that phrase, I am reminded of a birthday card that I found 30 plus years ago looking for birthday cards. It was somebody's birthday and the birthday card has on it. And I should have found it for you for your recent birthday on the cover of the birthday card is the Grim Reaper. And when you open it up, it says you can run but you can't hide happy birthday, so (laughs) happy Friday. Uh, That was 32 years ago, and it feels like that. That's not a very encouraging thing. Every week goes by like that, especially during football season. Peter King and I talked about this earlier today. Once you get on that treadmill of Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Sunday, Monday, Thursday, it just disappears, and here we are already almost five weeks in.
2: I know. Well, I mean, you're talking about a birthday card from 32 years ago, right? I I wasn't even born back then. So I think that tells you how quickly the time can fly, especially during football season.
1: If only I had the foresight back in 1989 to realize that in two years, a future colleague would be born in Cleveland and then eventually live in Santa Monica. And I would be talking to him in real time through the wonders of a high wow. speed fiber connection through something called the Internet. Man, if I had that kind of vision, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now through the wonders of a fiber high speed Internet connection. That's for damn sure. All right. Uh If anyone had vision about what was going to happen with the 49ers, they would know the truth that ultimately was revealed today. Trey Lance will get his first career start on Sunday at Arizona because Jimmy G is injured again. He didn't practice today. He hasn't practiced all week. I think they knew this from the get-go. Jimmy Garoppolo tried to declare himself out for this week after the game on Sunday and Kyle Shanahan got involved and I think he had a talk with Jimmy G whose head may partially be made of meat to say hey look Jimmy you can't blow our advantage here we want them to be thinking they may see you they may see Trey we're trying to win this game and that's when Jimmy kind of backed up a little bit and we I think we knew as of Sunday it was going to be Trey Lance and I'm excited by this Trey Lance versus Kyler Murray are you kidding me I think this is going to be great
2: Oh yeah, it should be. Look, it's gonna be Trey Lance versus Kyler Murray one. And we hope it's the first of a lot of these matchups between these two young and dynamic looking quarterbacks. I mean, you've got somebody on the opposite sideline right now, and Kyler Murray, who is one of the front runners for the MVP award. And frankly, I think that Trey Lance could be the shot in the arm that the 49ers kind of need to get things rolling a little bit offensively. I I think they've played okay on offense, but of course they've also had a lot of different injuries. And when you're talking about somebody like Trey Lance, it's not just what he can do with his arm. It's what he can do with his legs. And we've seen time and time again, when a guy can come in there at quarterback and make plays with his legs, it brings an entirely different quality to that offense. And we know as well that Kyle Shanahan wants to run the heck out of the football. And that's something that they're going to be able to do with Trey Lance, not just with the guys in the backfield. Trey Lance can bring that kind of energy. And it's something that We saw, you know, a guy named Colin Kaepernick who played with the 49ers. I think of also with Bob Griffin, you know, with Washington and Kyle Shanahan. And then also you have somebody like Lamar Jackson who came in a couple years ago and then gave a real shot in the arm to that Baltimore offense. It can just make an offense that much more dynamic when a QB comes in and he can run the football like somebody like Trey Lance. So I'm really looking forward to seeing it too.
1: And, I think we need to get our little quarterback cliché checklist out because we inevitably will hear from Kyle Shanahan that it's still Jimmy Garoppolo's job when he's healthy. Oh, of course. And, of course, that is subject to change if Trey Lance (laughs) plays well enough and has shown the kind of development that they were expecting that they decide to go with Trey Lance. I think they wanted Trey Lance to win the starting job from week one, and I think Jimmy Garoppolo gave Trey Lance opportunities to do so through his own failures Lance just hadn't gotten to the point where he was ready to seize the job. This is his chance. He goes to Arizona, and he beats the Cardinals and make, gives them their first loss of the year and gets the 49ers to 3-2. and two. He goes a long way toward winning the locker room. I think that's what it comes down to, winning the locker room. The locker room continued to be behind Jimmy Garoppolo, and I think it still is. And now it's got no choice but to get behind Trey Lance. And if Lance plays well enough, yeah, you know, There was a time when you didn't lose your job due to injury in the NFL. You can now. If the second guy comes in and plays better than the first guy, the second guy becomes the first guy, Miles.
2: Well, this is exactly what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks with Chicago, right? With Andy Dalton and Justin Fields. It's only Andy Dalton's job when he's healthy, if Justin Fields comes up and he sucks up the room, and frankly he kind of did against the Cleveland Browns, but then last week he played so much better, and one could maybe say that that's because he was going up against Detroit's defense instead of Cleveland's defense, which has been really, really good, especially over the last couple of weeks, but at the same time, it's part of the development of young quarterbacks. You want to see them come in, you want to see them play well, and you want to see them play better than the veteran option that you are replacing by drafting that guy that you also traded up to go get. It's really sort of parallel situations here in San Francisco and Chicago. And frankly, yeah, I think that they want Trey Lance to come in there and show that he can be the starting quarterback, not just of the present, but also of the future.
1: Yes. And uh, it's going to be fun either way to see how it plays out. Jimmy Garoppolo clearly is not the future. In San Francisco, the question is when you make that change, when the locker room will accept it, because you have a roster that is ready to compete for a Super Bowl championship, even though they are two and two. So that's one of the great games now of the weekend. What can Trey Lance do as the starter and what can the 49ers defense do to slow down? Tyler Murray, who is right now the MVP front runner, but still plenty of football left to be played. The Denver Broncos 3-1 after losing to the Ravens on Sunday. They lost Treddy Bridgewater late in the first half. 53 seconds left. He took a hit that gave him a concussion. He's expected to be cleared by an independent neurologist. Took most of the first-team reps today. The way it works is because we don't get into these weeds very often anymore. When you have a concussion, you have to be cleared initially to practice by team doctors and independent doctors, and then you're cleared to play by team doctors and independent doctors and anything can result in a setback remember the time that ben roethlisberger said on a saturday when he had otherwise been cleared he had a headache or something like that and he was pulled from a sunday night game i think it was so it can still happen you can still have symptoms but for now it looks like teddy bridgewater will be good to go and speaking of ben roethlisberger the Broncos are stepping into a tough spot here, Miles. This is as desperate as the Steelers ever are. And this is not going to be an easy game for the Broncos to win, regardless of who the quarterback is, because the Steelers cannot afford to go to 1-4 overall and 0-3 oh and at home.
2: Well, especially in a division like the AFC North where everybody else right now is three and one and playing really good football. I mean, even the Cincinnati Bengals, I think are showing that they can be competitive. And they got one of the sneaky good games this weekend against the green Bay Packers. But I think you're right about um, what's going on in Denver and how tough a matchup this is going to be. I mean, you look at their three wins. it was against teams that had not won a game right until last week. So now, what are the Broncos going to be able to do? Teddy Bridgewater was just okay in that first half before he suffered that concussion, 7-16 to 16 for 65 yards with a touchdown in that first half against Baltimore last week. And then ultimately, of course, the Broncos lose to the Ravens. And now they get another really tough AFC North opponent. You know, you got somebody like TJ Watt on the other side, who's coming after you. And he really makes that defense. So dynamic. I agree with you, Mike, it's going to be a really tough matchup for these guys going in there, but I feel better about it knowing that they've got Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback than I would if they had drew lock starting this week.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, the Broncos have another opportunity to prove that this is not a fluke because the teams they had beaten the first three weeks are all still winless. It was the let's no, run the No, won. the Jets have won a game. The Jets and the Giants yeah, have won Giants a game. Giants so, won. so yeah. that no longer applies. And the Steelers right. have yeah. won a game. And that's the thing. If the Broncos beat the Steelers, people say, "Oh, they still haven't really beat anybody because the Steelers stink." Okay. But going into Pittsburgh and winning is not a small feat. The Raiders have done it. Now the Broncos. We'll try to do it. The Seahawks come to Pittsburgh next week, Sunday night football. That should be a fascinating game because the Steelers will be desperate whether they win or lose on Sunday. The Seahawks getting closer to desperate after losing last night to the Rams, 26-17, and one of the reasons they lost, they didn't have Russell Wilson who banged his hand on the forearm of Aaron Donald and his finger locked into a position that is not the normal, ideal position finger configuration he wasn't able to get it to the point where he could grip the ball throw the ball he came back for a series after he suffered that injury you can see it here the hand on the follow-through I'm surprised Miles that doesn't happen more often when you are moving your body you're you're moving your arm against the grain of of the defenders coming at you it's amazing to me it doesn't happen more often that they don't hit arms and hands and helmets and shoulder pads and whatever on their follow-through so Wilson goes out Geno Smith comes in and plays well with Wilson. The issue is x-rays negative. He saw a specialist in L.A. today. There could be ligament damage in there. Look, you can either grip the football or you can't. You can either make the throws or you can't. I said this today to Peter King. This isn't like trying to, you know, tape up an ankle and, And maybe you don't run quite as fast as you usually do, and you lose some of your mobility, but you can still throw. You can either make all the throws or you can't make all the throws. It's a pass-fail. You can't hide. And, you know, would the Seahawks put him on the field? And this is the question, Miles: Do you put him on the field if he can only make 80% of the throws versus a Geno Smith who can make all the throws? And I think, based on what we saw last night from Geno Smith, sorry, I'm taking 100% Geno Smith over 80% Russell Wilson.
2: Well, that's why you have Geno Smith, right? I mean, this is sort of the conversation that we had about the Colts a couple of weeks ago when Carson Wentz, as you're just talking about, right? It's not like you can have an ankle where you're just taping it up and then maybe you can go out there. And frankly, Russell Wilson has had some issues in the past where it's been, all right, we're going to tape this thing up and you're going to keep playing because – He's had 149 straight starts to start his career. It's going back all the way to 2012 uh, when the Seahawks drafted him in the third round. He has not missed a game. He's not missed a start. And so for this to be that serious, where we're talking about ending that starting streak, you know that it's a really, really big deal. And that's a big issue for him. And maybe it's going to work out a little bit better that they've got this mini by this week. So he could get the hell out of Dodge and come down here to Los Angeles and see that hand specialist and figure things out a little bit for him. Uh, so maybe he will be able to play Sunday night against Pittsburgh. But I think, look, you, like you said, it's either you can grip the football or you can't grip the football and If you have a veteran backup that you trust like Geno Smith, which they definitely should, especially after he goes down the field 98 yards and gets them a touchdown like he did last night against a good defense in the LA Rams, then yeah, I mean, that's what you have the backup for, to come in and win you a game or two until your QB can come back in there.
1: You apparently missed the email in which I called dibs on all sarcastic and snarky comments about Urban Meyer in any way. I did shape miss or that form. one. Yeah, sorry. Although, uh, I'll, oh I'll, well. I'll give you that one because it was good. Here's <laughs> Pete Carroll from earlier today talking about the performance of Geno Smith and whether or not they believe in Smith being able to get it done if he's the guy next Sunday night in Pittsburgh.
0: He's a very talented football player. He's got a great arm, he's got great sense, and he knows the system really well. I totally trust that, that Gino can do this. And uh, I think you saw it last night, in a really difficult situation, you know, hurry up, all that kind of stuff. He was, he was really good at it. He really understands the system. So we'll be able to stay with the, with the preparation and, and that'll help everybody. Um, Gino makes guys around him feel confident and feel comfortable. And, and uh, I thought that was a great showing.
1: I kind of like that look from Pete, whatever that is. Looking pretty <laughs> dapper at age seven. Very Pacific
2: but... Northwest.
1: Geno Smith looked good last night, and I was rooting for Geno Smith. Look at that! I like that. I got to get me a, an ensemble like that for next Friday's uh, another Friday closer <laughs> to death edition of PFTPM. Anyway, Geno Smith was up the road for me at at uh, West Virginia University. I got my I got my. West Virginia polo shirt on today in indirect honor of Geno didn't even think of that it was just the closest and the cleanest that is my approach to any and all things I wear (laughs) but 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 he hey I mean cold off the bench 98 yard drive he gets the ball back 84 yards away from the end zone 209 to play and Tyler Lockett falls down it's not his fault he either tripped over his own two feet or he was tripped or he was kind of knocked off balance whatever Geno Smith threw the ball to where he thought Tyler Lockett was going to be and uh, that was that but I I would not I would not roll my eyes and groan at the prospect of watching Geno Smith next Sunday night if Russell Wilson can't play let's see what Geno can do.
2: Well, Gino's been in this league for a long time. And again, this is why you have the veteran backup because it's somebody that you can trust. He's been with Seattle for a while now, a few years now. And I mean, even though they've got this new offense under Shane Waldron, it's very clear that he has a good understanding of it just based on the way he was able to come in and operate that thing. So I don't think it would be the worst option. You know, if we have to see Gino Smith versus an aging Ben Roethlisberger on Sunday night football, Frank, Honestly, Geno Smith might be the better quarterback of these two of these two teams at this time. Who knows? As
1: of right now, I think you're absolutely right. And hey, primetime Sunday night football, big audience. It may be the last time we ever see Ben Roethlisberger. I'm not hoping for that. I'm not rooting for that. I'm just being realistic. If he continues to perform like he has so far this season, if they should lose on Sunday to the Broncos, and if he looks overmatched and out of place and like a guy who just can't move and gets dragged down to the ground while he's trying to do something that he thinks he should still be able to do and he's confused why he can't do it. They got a bye week after that. He's not going to be benched. No, he's not going to be benched. We know that already. Quit reporting reporters out there that he's not going to be benched. Mike Tomlin's already said he's not going to be benched. We don't need reports that he's not going to be benched. He'll be put on injured reserve and we'll never see him again. And Miles, something I pointed out today to Peter King. We could see him week 17 against your Cleveland Browns, the last Monday night game of the year. If the game is basically meaningless, it would be kind of like Joe Montana 1991, back when you were about three months three, old. Four Montana's months old. Yeah. <laughs> last game on Monday Night Football. I think it was the Lions on a Monday night, just a swan song, a see you later, a farewell. I think it was 91 or 92. I think it was 91. Regardless, I think that uh, that would be the only time we'd maybe see him again. If then. It could be they put him on injured reserve, and he never puts on a football uniform ever again. Miles,
2: gosh, I mean, you know, that would be that would be kind of sad. But that's the way this thing usually ends up for QBs, right? It goes and it goes very quickly. And I mean, the one time it kind of worked out nicely was for Peyton Manning. Back in 2015, because that defense was so darn good. They carried him across the finish line and into the sunset in Super Bowl 50 over the Carolina Panthers. So, yeah, I mean, like it it wouldn't surprise me if it were something like that, where Ben Roethlisberger ends up having to go on injured reserve. I mean, he talked about it this week that the the photos of his hip might make your stomach turn if you saw them because it's black and blue and bruised and all those different types of things. He's an aging quarterback it's not the same as it was for him, even, you know, last year, a couple of years ago. So let's see what happens this week. And the Broncos still a good defense. If Von Miller can come after him, maybe this is the last couple of times that we see Ben Roethlisberger.
1: Hey, when you're age 39 and you get banged around like that, it takes a hell of a lot longer to recover than it did when you were 29. That's for sure. And by the way, it was 1992. So you were 15 uh, months okay. old. You were sitting there in a diaper watching the game on TV that night, somewhere in your brain there is a, a memory of Joe Montana throwing three touchdown passes against the Detroit Lions in his first game in two years for the 49ers before he signed with the Kansas City Chiefs and promptly took them to the AFC Championship. I don't think there's going to be a second act for Big Ben. We're not going to see Big Ben anywhere else next year, and I think we're definitely not going to see him in Pittsburgh. One last thing about last night's game, and we could talk about the double punt for an entire hour. I'm fascinated by it for a couple of reasons. One, we've never seen it before. Two, it it confused everybody, including Mike Pereira, one of the brightest people on the planet when it comes to what the rules contemplate. And number three, it gave us an insight into how they're using the replay assistant and the officiating department to assist with calls on the field. And there's the play, as it happened last night. The recovery of the block punt and great presence of mind by Michael Dixon an incredible dexterity the ball is spinning he scoops it up with his right hand runs up to the line of scrimmage stops and punts it 68 yards it was an amazing athletic endeavor now the NFL officiating department Miles said at the time that the punt was blocked and recovered by the kicking team the punter kicks the ball again from behind the line of scrimmage this is a legal kick and the result of the play was the ball ruled down at the 11. Here's the reality he wasn't behind the line of scrimmage At most, what we can say is his left leg was on the line of scrimmage at the time that he kicked the ball. And there is a strange technicality in the rules that someone pointed out to me today, and I had a lot of off-the-record conversations because no one wants to have their names tied to this, but the way the rule is written, after a blocked punt for that second kick from behind the line of scrimmage, the way it's written, it contemplates that the ball won't cross the line of scrimmage before the second kick. Well, Technically, and I think the spirit of that is if the ball somehow gets to the other side of the line of scrimmage and it's brought back, it can't be kicked again. The way it's written. What happened last night violates the rule because the ball was clearly over the line of scrimmage when it was kicked. And you can say, well, that's not what the rule means. I don't care. It's what the rule says. You can't take the ball over the line of scrimmage for a second kick. If it's over the line of scrimmage, it can't be kicked a second time, even if the punter or the kicker is otherwise behind it. So that's something that I think will change this year. So the language of the rule reflects the intent. But that was one glaring thing that clearly no one understood. And then the other side of it was how much did the replay assistant, the league office, assist with the ruling on the field, which was he was beyond the line of scrimmage. The video people got involved and said he wasn't, and that changed everything, Miles. And they're lucky the Rams won that game, because if the Rams had lost, this would have been a much bigger deal.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, the Rams were able to go down the field and score after that really long punt. I mean, that's a play where as a special teamer, you're thinking, man, we blocked the punt. Usually the ball is going to be recovered in some way, either by the kicking team and then that player gets tackled or it's going to be recovered by the receiving team and you're going to you know, be in really good position to score or a ball is going to squirt out of bounds. At first, that's what I thought was going to happen, that the ball was going to be able to get out of bounds and the Rams were going to be in scoring position already. Um, but I think that you're right about what happened with the ruling on the field because there was a flag thrown. And then the explanation of course, was that the ruling on the field, uh, there is no flag because the ruling on the field is now that uh, he was be- behind the line of scrimmage when he kicked the ball a second time. And that's a legal punt. And like you said, at best, he was at the line of scrimmage. And we know this from when we're talking about quarterbacks and throwing the ball. And you talk about Russell Wilson, he toes this line all the time of being beyond the line of scrimmage when he throws it and having a body part at the line of scrimmage when he throws it. So that I think is what you're talking about in the spirit of the rule that you can be at the line of scrimmage and still punt it. But like you're saying, and honestly, I'm, I'm sort of being sarcastic when I say this, but also I'm not like, this is where you were a lawyer is a good thing here, because when you read between the lines, you can't do that. It's actually got to be interpreted as what the language is and not what the spirit of the rule is. And so if the language is the ball can't go beyond the line of scrimmage, then that's what Dixon does. He takes it beyond the line of scrimmage, no matter what angle you're looking at. I think we can all tell that. And then he punts it. And that's where the punch should have been legal.
1: There's a bit from Jerry Seinfeld from years ago where he explains that lawyers are basically the people in society who flip the box on the board game and read the rules and interpret them. And that's what it is. Every statute, every law is a rule. You have to read it and you interpret it. And one of the things we learned in law school a long time ago three years before you were born god that's depressing is that is is that really is depressing that, I, really another too, Friday. I really am i am. it's good i'm wearing black What's with all the black looks like you're going to a funeral maybe i am maybe it's my own
2: um check for but, that Grim uh, reaper baby
1: but but anyway yeah, i can run but i can't hide anyway uh what the hell are we talking about the the rules you are what the they water, are man. And the yeah. way that they wrote the rule, once that ball goes over it, and Miles, I, I want to be clear on this. The Rams punted. They didn't score on the next drive. They punted, and oh, that's it what uh, pinned the Seahawks yeah. on their own, too. And then they went 98 yards and scored a touchdown. So the end result that's of right. that game of field position was a 98-yard drive by the Seahawks to score a touchdown. So it, I think it was consequential. But what, what also I think is relevant about this, it shows me that, and it gives us some insight in this new procedure where – The replay assistant and the officiating department can assist on certain specific things with the decisions made short of full-blown replay review. This isn't replay review. This is the replay assistant and or the officiating department helping the officials on the field. That's fine. But when the officials on the field say, hey, the guy was over the line of scrimmage, the way I read the rule and the way I read the procedure It's only if there's clear and obvious visual evidence that that advice makes its way to the guys on the field and the decision is overturned. So I look at it this way, and this is kind of like a mini replay review. This is what they're doing on this intermediate step now where they have kind of a quasi sky judge. They're supposed to be looking at what happened and say, is there clear and obvious evidence that what they're telling us they saw is wrong? And my point is this very simple. If the line judge says, that Michael Dixon was over the line of scrimmage, there is no clear and obvious evidence that he wasn't. And that's important because when the time comes for the ruling on the field to finalize, it's that mini replay review that makes the official ruling that he wasn't beyond the line of scrimmage, which makes it impossible to get it overturned via full-blown replay review because there's not clear and obvious evidence either way. So this is a window into how this new procedure is going to work unless they they used it the wrong way. But I think they failed, Miles. The replay assistant and or the officiating department failed on this because they didn't apply the 50 drunks in a bar standard to the ruling on the field that was made by the line judge that he was over the line. They should have respected right. that cuz you can't tell in a quick review clear and obvious that he was not past the line of scrimmage. So Long story bearable, it should have been a foul for a couple of different reasons. It should have been a foul. If we apply the rule as written, it should have been a foul. And if we apply the procedure for this quasi-sky judge, it should have been a foul. That's where I think the NFL needs to be honest with itself. It may not be honest with us, but it needs to be honest with itself.
2: Well, sure. And I think the other part of that is that Sean McVeigh talked about this after the game and he said, Well, New York said blah, blah, blah. And I think anytime a head coach probably hears New York, they think, All right, well, 345 Park Avenue has already made a ruling on this. I'm going to keep my red challenge flag in my pocket. And I think there was a replay at some point or they showed some camera angle on the broadcast of Sean McVeigh with the challenge flag in his hand. But if he's being told, that the NFL has already reviewed the play, then at least as a head coach, it's got to be, all right, well, I I already know what this is going to result in, so there's no reason for me to challenge this. He could still do it,
1: but he still could. He still has the right to do it. Under the rules, he still has the right to do it. Right. But
2: why would you, if you think that right. the NFL has already reviewed it right. and you know what I'm saying? Like that, I wouldn't do that. You know, it's like yeah. saying that, you know, your mother has already told you no and then you're going to go ask her again when she, you want a cookie before dinner. It's like, why you already know? Or she says, you know, we're not having Wait, cookies before. <laughs> let me, let me just get this. Cause I, I got it now. She already I said, never took one note for not an answer before dinner. And then she's going to go off and do something else. And then you're going to come back two seconds later and go, Hey, mom, can we have cookies for dinner? The answer is already no. You know what the answer is. Why are you going to ask the question already? Okay, That I, I was a really bad way of getting to that, but I think I finally got it.
1: Miles, Miles, if only I was around to influence you when you were a youth, like my, my nephew who's actually older than you, I would have told you there is wisdom and reward in persistence because sooner or later – Mom is not going to want to hear it anymore. Mom is going to give you the GD cookie. So, sorry. Sorry, Uncle Mike wasn't there to help you out. I have
2: them. Sorry, sorry,
1: Uncle Mike wasn't there to help you out in 1992, (laughs) three, four, whenever. All right. um, Yeah, but uh, one other thing, too. Special teams coordinators were not aware of this rule. And they are now buzzing the phone lines to each other and they are asking themselves, What can we possibly do in other scenarios? Because it's not just a second punt after a blocked punt. It is a drop kick after a blocked field goal. If you are so inclined to try a punt after a blocked field goal. Think about that. Think about that. You're lined up for a 56 yard field goal. Let's just say that, let's say that, well, this wouldn't have really applied Sunday night, just in a normal game. Guys trying a 56 yard field goal. It gets blocked. The holder, the kicker or anybody else scoops the ball up as long as the ball doesn't go over the line of scrimmage you can punt it right that's what's amazing so now you've got like they've discovered plutonium by accident and they're coming up with all these various permutations for something that miles will probably not happen again in my lifetime and maybe not in yours either
2: yeah Well, you know, I mean, it's one of those things where you like to know everything that you could possibly be able to do in any different uh, scenario. And so the smart coaches will coach something, you know, you'll spend a couple minutes on this because it's a scenario that came up. And even if it's not going to come up again, you want to know what to do in case of emergency, right? It's the whole break glass thing. So if you have to break the glass, you now know another way that you can. And when you're calling fire on a, on a field goal that gets messed up, you can as a long snap or as the holder or as the kicker, wherever the ball is, you now know where you can move and maybe just get a kickoff. And then, you know, you're pinning guys deeper um, than you might otherwise based on where the field goal is. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting innovation that guys are now going to be able to think about.
1: If only the late Garo Yepremian had known back in Super Bowl Seven that once the field goal was blocked, he didn't have to try to throw it. All he had to do was punt it. Now they all know. That's the one thing to take away from this. And it'll be, again, chances of it happening, again, are slim. But they're all thinking about it. They're going to be coaching it. The punters and the kickers and the holders are going to be talking about it. And this has opened up a new frontier of possible craziness when it comes to special teams plays. All right. Um, The – This was a strange story and a troubling story that emerged Friday afternoon, and we are compelled to cover it here. I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know where it should go. I'm still confused by a lot of it, but here's what happened, and here's how I understand it, Miles. As part of the Washington football team investigation, which was a very thorough review of documents, emails, interviews with people, hundreds of people that were spoken to, There was a wide range of emails that were examined. And Bruce Allen, who was an executive with the team for years, his emails were examined as part of this. And he got an email from John Gruden back in July of 2011 when Gruden was working for ESPN, not coaching any team. But there is in that email and Gruden has not denied it specifically. He says he doesn't remember it, but he's not disowning it. There is a racist trope that Gruden uses in connection with DeMora Smith, the NFLPA executive director at the time of a lockout that was moving toward a conclusion. Gruden explained to Andrew Beaton of the Wall Street Journal that he was frustrated, he was upset, and he was apologetic about what language he had used. Uh, But this is a problem for Gruden. When you look at the NFL statement, the NFL says the email from John Gruden denigrating DeMora Smith is appalling, abhorrent, and wholly contrary to the NFL's values. We condemn the statement and regret any harm that its publication may inflict on Mr. Smith or anyone else. And the NFL reportedly reviewing the matter for possible discipline. The Raiders could take action if Mark Davis is so inclined. This, and this is something that it's all very fresh. It's all very new. It just happened within an hour or two before we started the show today. But... Miles, this is a serious matter, and the league is taking it extremely seriously.
2: As they should. I mean, listen, whenever you have any individual using this kind of racist trope, regardless of who they're using it toward, that's an issue. It's a big issue. And frankly, it's something that I don't know if it would cost John Gruden his job. I don't know if he even should cost John Gruden his job, but- There's got to be some sort of comeuppance, some sort of consequences for something like this. I mean, and it doesn't matter that it was 10 years ago, right, that it was in 2011 or whatever the context is, whether it's in an email, whether it was in a text message, whether he said it out loud. You can't use racist language and expect that nothing is going to come from it. right. And, you know, the other thing that sort of bothered me about John Green's comment to the wall street journal as he starts talking about i don't have a racist bone in my body and mike frankly i mean i know i'm not a doctor and i haven't taken any anatomy classes in a long time but i've struggled (laughs) to figure out where the hell the racist bone is in anybody's body and whether or not i I I might have it and i had no idea where you were going with that so you know i just that that whole thing it bothers me and you know because People don't necessarily are not people are not necessarily racist just because they say racist things. And I want to make that very clear. But when you're trying to say, you know, I don't have any racism in my body or anything like that. And you've made a comment. just own the comment, you know, and just right. own it. You have to own it. And I don't know that there's anything else we can say about that. But but yeah, the, the I think you're right.
1: No, Miles, Th- that that. That extra phrase, whether it's I don't have a racist bone in my body or it's I'm the least racist person that's ever existed. There's a certain politician that used that over and over again. It's the modern day version of some of my best friends are insert whichever group you need to say. I don't have any type of bias toward it. It's it takes away from any authenticity, any honesty, any candor, any credibility that your apology has when you feel compelled to throw in I don't have a racist bone in my body or I'm the least racist person in the world or some of my best friends are, insert group, that your language from 10 years ago offended. And look, Miles, 70% of the players in the NFL are black. And regardless of what Mark Davis does, regardless of what the NFL does, Gruden's going to have an issue in his locker room. And Gruden, who already has credibility issues because he has a long-standing and well-earned reputation for saying one thing and doing another. He had it in Tampa. He has it in Oakland. He has it in Vegas. He's always had it. This is only going to make it harder for people to believe the things he says. So no matter what, this could all go away now. The NFL could say, we're not going to do anything. Mark David could say, I'm not going to do anything. He's still going to have an issue in the locker room now and moving forward.
2: He very well might. He very well might. And frankly, he should. And, you know, I don't know if this is another situation where it was like with Urban Meyer, where he's got to get in front of the team or go from team meeting room to team meeting room and explain and tell them everything and all this stuff and apologize. But I, I certainly think he's got to address the team about this. You know, you're talking about the, the president of the, of the Players Association. I, that, that's not just it's not nothing. So I I don't know. I I don't really know what he's got to do in order to atone for this mistake, but he's got to do something. And I think he certainly needs to adjust the team about it.
1: I recommend not saying knock on wood if you don't have a racist bone in your body. I recommend (laughs) that he not say that in a team meeting. (laughs) Um, I would recommend that This is a 60-minute show, and it's 39 minutes into the show. My math skills are horrendous. But I think it means we better take a break because we got plenty more so. show to do and we've been talking for a very long time. We'll be back with more PFTPM, including five questions for week five right after this.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters
2: I would assume that they're thinking the same thing. Everybody wants to make this big deal about the AFC Championship rematch, and I get that's what it is. But it's a new year, and you know this team's different than last year, and their team's different than last year. Um, you know they're again, but they're the uh, kind of the gold standard of what you would want to be as an NF- or as an AFC team. You know, being to the AFC Championship the last three years, and um, you know competing for Super Bowls is what they've been doing. You know, so that's what every team wants to be and until somebody knocks them off in the playoffs. Uh, that won't change, but again, this is Week 5. Um, it's the biggest game on our schedule, like I said earlier, because it's the next one, and uh, that's how we're approaching this game.
1: Josh Allen, Bills quarterback, getting ready for a big game on Sunday night. The 3-1 and one Bills looking dominant right now. They go to face a Chiefs team that has been to the Bills what the Chiefs had been to the Ravens. And the Ravens three weeks ago, they were able – to handle the Chiefs but that was in Baltimore. This is in Kansas City. This is a different ball game altogether for the Bills. So we got five questions for week 5. Who needs to win this game more on Sunday Night Football? The Bills or the Chiefs,
2: Miles? I think practically the chiefs might need to win it more, but if you're talking about like vibes and trying to overcome the kryptonite or something like that, I think the bills really do need it. I mean, they've been talking all week sort of about how, Oh, it's just a game and it's the next one on our schedule as we were hearing from Josh Allen. But then you've got other guys like Jordan Poyer saying, it's going to be a legendary matchup, which, I don't know how many legendary matchups we get in week five of any given season, but I mean, this should be a really high quality game between these two teams. But if you're the chiefs, you want this because you've got to keep pace with the chargers and with the Raiders in that, in that, in that division right now, because those two teams have been playing really well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And look, this is a big swing game. When you are talking about not your division, when you are talking about the cross division comparisons that are, mm-hmm. that are inevitable when we get to January, because not only is it a swing of a game, either direction, you are either going to have both teams at three and two, or one at four and one, and one at two and three, just like we saw emerge from last night's uh, rams Seahawks game, but you got the tiebreaker in play as well. So basically, you have to make up two games if you lose this game and you are the Chiefs. So it's a problem. Uh, for them and I think they need it more home game they've struggled this year they need to reestablish themselves they've already fallen against the Ravens you don't want to start falling against the team the teams that you have been beating every year the good teams that you've been beating every year or all of a sudden you seem very mortal and beatable when the playoffs roll around all right is this the week the Saints offense? Turns things around. Miles, they go to Washington. One point favorite are the Saints. It's Jekyll and Hyde every week for them. Is this the week they get it together?
2: Well, if there is a week, I mean, that you want to get right game, it's probably against a defense that has been playing as badly. As Washington has. I mean, they're 30th in points allowed, 29th in yards allowed. And didn't necessarily expect that from them coming into the season with how well they played last year, carrying that team to a division championship in the lowly NFC East. I mean, with the Saints, they're 17th in points, or 28th in yards, not really moving the ball that well. Last week was the first time Jameis Winston had even gone over 200 passing yards this season. So they need to figure out what it is that they've got to do to get things going. And maybe Sean Payton's got to take the training wheels off uh, from Jameis Winston and let him throw the ball around a little bit. Yeah. That's going to put the ball in harm's way because it's Jameis Winston. And we know that's what he does, but they got to do it anyway. If they want to score some points and win some games, Mike.
1: Yeah. And uh, they've got to start piling up some wins because it seems like every year the saints hit a few roadblocks early and then they quietly start piling up victories, and we get to mid-November, and it's like, holy crap, they're 8-2. They got to start kicking it in, or it's going to be a long year for the New Orleans Saints. Who will be the last winless team? The Jaguars or the Lions? Both are 0-4.
2: Uh, give me the Jaguars. And I'm because I you know what? I think the Lions are going to win one of these games, man. And I honestly, I nobody asks me what my opinion is on these games, but I think that the Lions are going to beat the Vikings this week. I know they're going on the road, but. They've been really close in some of these games. They should have beaten Baltimore. I think it's going to be the Jaguars, especially given all the mess that's gone on down there in Jacksonville this week.
1: Yeah, we haven't talked much about Urban Meyer today, and I don't know that there's much more to add, but it is a mess. It continues to be a mess, and they've got Mike Vrabel and the Titans coming to town in a couple of days, and they could become the third team in league history to lose 20 in a row. I think the Jaguars are going to be the last winless team. I think the Lions will get one, and hey, they may get it this weekend in Minnesota, which would be panic time for the Vikings if they fall to one and four. Which rookie quarterback will have the most wins this season? Currently, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson have one each. Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Davis Mills, who has two starts, they all have zero.
2: I'm going to say Trey Lance because I think he's going to come out, and he may not win this game, but I think he's going to perform well enough to keep that job over Jimmy Garoppolo. And frankly, I think he's in the best situation as a rookie quarterback, and I think he's got the best team around him as well. So give me Trey Lance on that one.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. He, he has the benefit of the best team, although I, I think Mac Jones is going to have a few. They need to start yeah. soon, though. They're 1-3. They have the yeah. Texans this week. They have the Cowboys next week. They win the next two games and get to 3-3. Three and three. It's a different vibe altogether for the Patriots and for Mac Jones. Who needs to step up this week? Give me a team. Give me a player. Give me anything that you want. Who needs to step up?
2: Uh, Baker Mayfield from my Cleveland Browns, you know, he talked about his very poor performance and that's not the word he used uh, last week against your Minnesota Vikings. And this is going to be a tough matchup for him against the Chargers defense. They have been playing great out here in LA, but if he doesn't get it done, they're not going to beat the Chargers. And that's a really important game for the Browns and the AFC.
1: And I'll say the Steelers offensive line, because uh, although I'm not yet willing To co-sign your claim from last week that not even Jesus would have time to throw behind the Steelers' offensive line, Ben (laughs) Roethlisberger clearly can't. He clearly cannot, and it's on that offensive line to buy him a little more time. And it's also on the entire offense to adjust to their reality. Ben Roethlisberger needs to be a game manager. The offensive line needs to do a better job of blocking for the pass and for the run, and they need to use Najee Harris. Why did you use a first-round pick? On this guy if you're not going to use him as a runner and run it and run it and run it and create play action opportunities and otherwise help the offense stay out of the way while the defense can dominate this is it if they don't win sunday oh boy i don't have any faith in them winning next sunday night if they can't beat the broncos on sunday All right let's take a break what we can't wait to see when week five of the 2021 nfl season arrives in just a couple of days we'll be right back All right, it's a Friday in-season tradition for PFTPM. What we can't wait to see on the Sunday to come. Miles, you're up.
2: Uh, give me Trey Lance versus Kyler Murray. The first matchup between these QBs in the NFC West. Hopefully the first of many. And, you know, I really think... Especially after the way Arizona came in and dominated the Rams at SoFi Stadium last week, you got Kyler Murray, I think, is the early season Russell Wilson MVP honoree for his performance. But now, you know, you've got Trey Lance here going for his first start. I wouldn't necessarily want to look across the line of scrimmage and see Chandler Jones coming after me. It's going to be a really interesting matchup to see exactly how these two teams perform, especially because Byron Murphy is going to be a game time decision at cornerback. But I don't know. I just think it's going to be a really good game between these two teams, Mike.
1: Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I, Hey, I've been wanting to see what Trey Lance can do and what better way to see it than against Kyler Murray. I'm going to start with the reception urban Meyer gets or doesn't get in Jacksonville on Sunday. How will the crowd react? What kind of creative signs may fans bring with them? Will we hear stories as we do from time to time at college or NFL games about signs being confiscated? Because my guess is there's a smartass or two down there like me who is cooking up some signs that they want to take with them to the game on Sunday to have a little fun at Urban Meyer's expense. But that's going to be interesting to see how he's received by the home crowd after he abandoned his post when he had three extra days to get ready for a game that will avoid the franchise losing 20 games in a row if they can somehow beat the Titans.
2: See if they have a 1-2-3 grind sign up there. Uh, in the stands. All right, my my next pick, though, is going to be Justin Herbert versus the Browns defense. and We're talking about Baker Mayfield in that last segment. But look, Justin Herbert, I think, is one of these kind of sneaky MVP candidates. The way he's been playing this year, he's been playing really, really well. And I think that the Browns offense might struggle a little bit based on what Baker Mayfield can or can't do against that really good Chargers defense. But if you look at what the Browns have been doing over the last couple of weeks, man, I mean, they're giving these QBs fits. Right? I mean, they sacked Justin Fields nine times a couple of weeks ago. Only got to Kirk Cousins twice last week, but the Vikings didn't score a point after their first drive. And that was largely because of the type of pressure that the Browns defense could put on Kirk Cousins. So this week, if Justin Herbert is facing a lot of pressure, and he's been good facing pressure then it might be a little bit of a different story and this might be a low scoring game, but that's kind of to me the only way the Browns are going to win is if they can make sure that ju- uh, that Justin Herbert is not able to get into a rhythm.
1: Week 5 2020 Dak Prescott and the Cowboys hosted the New York Giants Dak Prescott suffered a badly broken ankle week 5 2021. Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys host the New York Giants. I've had people say to me it was kind of a cruel twist of fate by the league office. I think this is an opportunity for Dak Prescott to put the broken ankle behind him once and for all. He's been phenomenal so far this year. He's an MVP candidate. He's playing well. He's overcome the ankle. He's overcome the shoulder, and he's the driving force behind that offense. It is clear now. This is an opportunity for him, Miles, in my mind, to show to himself, to his team, to the Giants and to anyone else out there, that he's back and he truly is better than ever.
2: Absolutely. And I'm really looking forward to seeing that one too. But my last pick I'm going to say are the Bengals for real? Because they're playing a three and one Packers team and they're three and one. They're at home. They should have the crowd behind them. And this is a big time matchup for Joe Burrow and that offense to go up against that Packers defense at home. They're going to have T. Higgins back. That is huge for that offense. And frankly, we've seen Joe Burrow do some really good things, but even he said this week that the Bengals have started out slowly in too many of these games, right? We saw it against the bears a couple of weeks ago. We saw it against the Jaguars on Thursday night football last week. And Burrow said this week, if they get too far behind too early, they're not going to be able to mount the kind of comeback that they did against the Jaguars because the Packers are going to pull too far ahead. Right? When you're going against Aaron Rodgers in that offense, that's something that you know. But I'm looking forward to seeing this because I don't think any of us would have predicted that the Bengals would have been 3-1 and one despite their opponents. But, hey, maybe they can get to 4-1 and one or play really well. They could go on a little run here.
1: They are leaving the Steelers in the dust along with the rest of the teams in the AFC North, and we didn't expect that this year. I thought the Bengals would be the team that would be the odd man out. I want to know whether or not Derek Carr gets – shook as Joey Bosa said after the Monday night game when the Chargers beat the Raiders because Bosa said if you hit him he gets shook and he curled up in a ball for one of the sacks although I think he was protecting the football I think that was a little much but Carr made it clear he was not happy with what Bosa had to say now he's got Khalil Mack coming to town and on top of all that this Gruden stuff is going to be an issue we saw the maturity from Trevor Lawrence when he spoke externally. It's going to require some real effort by Derek Carr internally to keep all the players focused as this Gruden thing unfolds over the next 36 hours. So big week for Derek Carr in a game that the Raiders should win over the Chicago Bears. Let's go ahead and take a break. We'll see what's in the mailbag when this Friday edition of PFTPM concludes right after this. The NBC Sports Predictor app, powered by PointsBet, has over $100,000 up for grabs this week, and it's free to play as many games as you want. This weekend's contests include a special Notre Dame Irish pick'em, college football NASCAR, and Sunday night football. Download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor. Mailbag slash open at Gong Show West. After six Super Bowl wins, could Bill Belichick ever be on a hot seat even if the Patriots' futility on the field continues For an extended period of time. Basically, at what point? How long would it take? How many years of no playoff appearances? Let's do that. What's the over-under? Years of no Mm -hmm. playoff appearances before Bill Belichick is on the hot seat.
2: Well, okay, would he ever be on the hot seat, hot seat? I mean, they would never, Kraft would never fire him, fire him. It would be Bill Belichick saying, I'm going to retire. You think? I don't know. I mean, I think, like, let's set the under over, like, four and a half. Uh, That's what I would say.
1: Somewhere between five and ten. I mean, think okay. about that. That five years is a long time to go with no playoff appearances, especially with seven spots in each conference. If he goes five years, he's gone. Whether it's he walks away or they make him run, he's gone. And there's been that speculation that how he will finish his career is as an executive VP of football operations, maybe with a piece of equity for some other NFL team. We'll see. But he's, he's uh, not 70 yet. Who knows how long he's going to continue. But, yeah, it's easy to continue if you're in the playoffs every year and if you get to the Super Bowl fairly often. That's the challenge. If this continues to be kind of a slow dog paddle kind of a rebuild where you don't really get any sense of direction or that it's working, that's when he's got trouble, Miles, especially if Tom Brady keeps winning Super Bowls.
2: Yeah, that's true. I mean, because Tom Brady going elsewhere, playing maybe until he's 50, that's not going to be a good look.
1: Great stuff as always, Miles. Thanks for some of your time, everybody. Enjoy the games this weekend. We'll see you Monday.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.